If you would, please remain standing and open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. It's Proverbs chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person. A wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Please be seated. As we continue in the book of Proverbs, I'm reminded of my own father. I was very blessed to have him and my mom, who made sure that we went to church, he, he taught us right from wrong. He set expectations for me and my brother. Sometimes they were a little too high. But I remember one thing in particular that he used to tell us. Anytime we were leaving the house, he would ask us to remember who we belong to and who we represent. And that was drilled into our heads over and over and over. You couldn't leave the house without hearing that reminder from my dad. He would ask us questions like what kind of men me and my brothers wanted to be, what kind of husbands we wanted to be, what kind of fathers we wanted to be, what kind of sons we are. I'm very thankful for my parents in that way. We have some of the best examples throughout my family of men that have loved their wives, that have been there for them, supported them, spiritually led them. We have great examples of parents that love their children and point them to Christ. And I hope one day that I will do that and continue to do that with my children, asking them, what kind of men, what kind of women do you want to be? And to remember who they are. But who gets to define these terms? Who gets to define what it means to be a man or a woman or a husband or a wife? Can we actually have objectively right and wrong definitions? The culture out there today would say that they get to decide what that is, that you get to decide what it is. Whatever you think a man is, whatever you think a woman is, whatever you think a father should be or a husband should be, 
have at it. But as we've looked at the book of Proverbs, it paints a picture that is very black and white. It's either right or wrong. It's either wisdom or folly. Looking back at Proverbs chapter 2, we read, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is the shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equality, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Proverbs 3 talks about the blessing that it is to find wisdom. It says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and who gains understanding. For the gain from her is far better than gold, or from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare. Life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. We read this, and we see this black and white picture. Wisdom comes from one place and one place only. It's from the fear of the Lord. It comes from the word of God. So as believers, our definition for things like manhood and womanhood should come only from the word of God. Because we see that scripture contains wisdom from the Lord while the, wor- while the world teaches folly. Wisdom brings life, discernment, riches, blessings, honor, understanding, knowledge, while folly brings nothing but death and destruction. So Solomon pleads over and over again to his son, saying there's only two choices. There's the path of wisdom that brings life, or there's the path of folly that brings death. Last week, we talked about the adulterous woman and how we should respond to her. We weren't to fight her. We weren't to see that we can be disciplined enough to be near her and not sin. We're told to run from her, hide from her, avoid her at all costs. Solomon wanted his son to be above reproach when it came to sexual immorality. And today we start talking about three other areas in life. How we handle our money, how we discipline ourselves, and how we build community. And a lot like my father, he often used examples of what not to do rather than explicit telling me what I should do. And this is what we see Solomon do here. So let's read the first five verses of our text. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you're snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of a neighbor. Go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter or like a bird from the hand of a fowler. So we hit this first example, and we see a man that puts up security for a neighbor. This would be the equivalent, excuse me, this would be the equivalent of co-signing for a loan today, or putting money, your money or your property up as collateral for anyone else. So why is this a bad thing? Solomon says that you become snared and caught in your own words. You made a promise to pay off a person's loan if they default in payment. And if you cannot pay, then your 
property, your money, your reputation are put up as security. If you Google, if you just go Google, should I co-sign a loan, you're going to get thousands of stories of people that have done this and the horror stories that come out of it because someone didn't pay off the loan. The person that you put your, your security into didn't pay it off and you end up losing your house, your, your car, your reputation, your credit score. It seems like a small thing, but, but Solomon, there's five more Proverbs in Proverbs. There's one that says, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. In Proverbs 17, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of a neighbor. Proverbs 20, take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for, security for foreigners. This is one of my favorite ones. Because this talks about if you're dealing with a, another person that has already put up security, you're saying, well, they're already kind of dumb for doing that, so why don't you take his garment just for more security? Uh, in Proverbs 22, be not one who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from you? And in Proverbs 27, we see take, take a man's garment, again, take a man's garment, when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Wisdom says that we should not put ourselves in the position to take on debt or risk a financial health for the sake of others. So does that mean we can't be generous with each other? We can't lend money, that we can't give away anything that we do have? Well, the answer from Scripture would be no, that God wants us to be generous, but not at the expense of our own responsibilities. If you look back at the Old Testament, it was expected that God's people would be generous. You had, well, let's, let's look at it. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15, beginning in verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what, he has, been, what has been lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it for, of his neighbor. His brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it. But whatever is yours is, is with your, whatever of yours is with your brother, you, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for the, as an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God. Be careful, being careful to do all this commandment that I have commanded you. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall uh, lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall, not, and you shall rule over many nations but they shall not rule over you. If we read on, we see that Israel received instructions to lend, lend generously, but to be able to forgive those debts. Every seven years, everything that was borrowed would return back to its original owner. So we see that we can give away 
whatever we have, but wisdom only allows us to give away the things that we have, not the things that we don't. In the New Testament, if we look at Luke 21, we see the picture of the widow with her two small coins given to the church. Jesus looked up and saw, uh, saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly I tell you, this widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. In Acts, we see the early church selling and giving everything that they had, sharing all their possessions in common between them. But what we didn't see is people making commitments beyond what they were able to pay. So we have two different scriptures all pointing to the same lesson that you should absolutely be willing and able to give all that you have, but never to give beyond that. The key lesson from this first warning is not to take on someone else's financial responsibility. And if you do for some reason, then get out of it as fast as possible. Solomon goes on in our text to speak about the worthless man, the sluggard, the man that avoids his responsibilities. If you look at verse 6 in our text, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come among you, upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A little laziness and poverty and want are close by. We see this in Proverbs 19. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. In Proverbs chapter 21, the, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor, and all day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. While Solomon's first warning warns us not to take responsibility for others, here Solomon warns us not to avoid our own duties and responsibilities. He says, don't take on bad commitments, but be willing to take on good commitments. And wisdom would show us what the good commitments and the bad commitments are. So we get a clear picture of idleness here. Idleness, idleness leads us to avoid our commitments and responsibility. But there's another side of that coin that we have to look at, especially in our culture today. The other side of that coin of idleness, I believe to be overcommitment. It can be far too easy for us to take on so much that we begin to shirk our actual responsibilities. Men especially, it's, it's easy to take on careers and work so hard in them that we end up replacing loving our families and leading our wives. Entertainment and hobbies so easily replace looking after our spiritual health even things as simple as children's sports begin to take the place of community within a local body. We can fill our lives with so much junk that we begin to ne neglect what matters most. Our time is limited and it is precious. We have to decide what we do 
with our time. It matters. We must know what our most important responsibilities are and put them first. So overcommitment and idleness are two sides of the same coin. The outcome of both of them is avoiding our responsibilities. Solomon goes on to warn against the the scoundrel in verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly, and in a moment he will be broken beyond healing. The one who sows discord, they use hate as a weapon, they use speech and gossip to separate friends, they use nonverbal communication towards this goal. And their primary goal is to sow discord. All of us have either seen this person or been this person at some point in time. We all know someone that always seems to roll their eyes or use some kind of body language that people need to know that they are unhappy about something. We know people that gossip and tell lies. We all know that person that enjoys stirring the pot, the one that seeks out or creates drama anywhere they go. We know the type of people that always have a comment, they always have a complaint, they always have a criticism. And no matter what happens, they can always find something wrong with someone's decisions. People like this enjoy sowing discord, but Solomon goes on to list seven abominations to the Lord. And he does this in an interesting way. We see it a few times in the Old Testament where someone says, here's a list of six things, but I'm going to add a seventh. And that's usually done to say that the seventh thing, the last thing, the thing that's added, is the most important thing in the list. So Solomon says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So God hates haughty eyes, prideful eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who brings out lies. If you notice there, we have a long list of body parts and members of our body, our eyes, our tongue, our hands, our heart, our feet, and our breath. And then we have ways that we as men corrupt these things from their original purpose to bring pride and lying and evil and violence. But Solomon saved the worst for last, one who sows discord among brothers. So to take our members, to misuse them, to corrupt their purpose leads us to that final thing that God hates is one that sows discord. So if God hates these seven things, which is sometimes hard for us to hear, because the world just goes back, or the Western church today is God is love. That's it. But then you read scripture like this, God hates. He does hate. And just like his love, it is perfect and it is right. So if God hates these seven things, 
then it would stand to reason that he loves the opposite. So what, what is the opposite of this? Eyes that show humility, a tongue that speaks the truth, hands that protect the innocent, a heart that plans for good, feet that run away from evil, and men who seek unity. Believers are meant to be unified in one thing, the completed work of Jesus Christ. Just before Jesus was arrested and executed, we have the high priestly prayer in John, John 17. And he says as much that unity within his work is what we're aiming for. He says, I have given them your word And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Paul, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, urged the church to walk in a worthy manner, a manner worthy of the calling that they have been called to. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying into the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of of the body of Christ until we all attain in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and carried about by, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The lesson from our text today is is deceptively simple. 
And it centers around just two words, responsibility and unity. As my dad reminded us as children, and even now as adults, I think it would be wise for us to ask those questions of ourselves, of our children, of our wives. Who do you belong to? And who do you represent? Because how we handle our finances, how we prioritize things in our lives, how diligent we work, and what we choose to work on, these things matter. So who do you belong to and who do you represent? As believers, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. How we live and the unity of this body, it matters. So I'll leave you with a reminder from the book of Philippians, from Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The God of the universe, while we were in open rebellion, condescended, he put on flesh, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he claimed to be God, and three days after his death, he proved it by raising from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the one that calls us out of our sin, he's the one that forgives us, while we were sinners called us sons and daughters, this is what unites us as believers. So if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ for salvation, I would beg you now, cry out to God for salvation. Don't leave this building without talking to somebody. If you're a believer here today, Wake up every morning and ask yourself that question. Who do you belong to? Who do I represent? Is the time that I'm going to spend today, does it matter in the eyes of the world? Join me in prayer. Lord, we once again thank you and we marvel at the completed work of your son. I ask you to help us recognize wisdom and folly and to seek out wisdom like it's hidden treasure. Help us to live our lives in a worthy manner, a manner that is, a manner that shows how much we value 
the calling that you've put on our lives. Help us to build stronger unity in this local body. Help us to build meaningful relationships, to, to have joy when other people have joy, to carry sorrow when other people have sorrow, to help carry burdens of one another, Lord. Guard our hearts. Guard our words, guard our minds, our bodies, every member of us. Let us use it for the purpose of your glory. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.